Section 1 of Lectures on Tropical Diseases. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami, M.D. Lectures on Tropical Diseases by Sir Patrick Manson. Being the Lane Lectures for 1905 delivered at cooper medical college san francisco u s a august nineteen o five chapter one principles determining the geographical distribution of tropical diseases epiphytic disease ankylostomiasis my first duty is to thank the authorities of this college for the honor they have done me in selecting me as lecturer on this occasion it is no small honor, and it is one I need hardly assure you I highly appreciate. While thanking you, I would congratulate you not on your choice of lecturer, but on your choice of subject. Considering the time and the place, there could be no more appropriate theme than tropical medicine. During the last few years, tropical pathology has advanced by leaps and bounds, and probably at a greater rate than any other department of medicine. I was going to say every month, this may be exaggeration, but certainly every year brings with it some notable discovery, some new fact, some new disease, some fresh light on an old disease, or, it may be, some revolutionizing idea pregnant with possibilities. Thirty years ago, tropical pathology as a distinct department of medicine could hardly be said to exist but within that short space of time how many important discoveries have been made to mention but a few i might point to the germ causes of leprosy of cholera of mediterranean fever of chyluria of tropical splenomegaly of tropical sore and most important of all of malaria it may be also of dysentery of liver abscess of sleeping sickness many hitherto unknown animal parasites some exercising pernicious effects on their human hosts have been dragged to light and helminthology until recently an insignificant if not a despised branch of pathology has acquired an importance no longer to be ignored the protozoa formerly hardly mentioned in our textbooks thanks mainly to research in tropical pathology are gradually usurping the premier place hitherto held by the bacteria lastly in entirely new and especially from the standpoint of preventive medicine a most important departure was inaugurated when it was found that insects and their congeners are instrumental and in many instances are necessary agents in the diffusion of a considerable section of human and animal disease when the mosquito made her bow on the stage of pathology and more especially when ross demonstrated her role in malaria a new and most important era in the science of medicine was inaugurated. Manifestly, the present is an appropriate time in which to discuss tropical medicine. Equally appropriate for this discussion is the building and the city in which we are assembled. Whether ye will it or no, America is bound to expand. I cannot pretend to say precisely what form this expansion is to take, whether it is to be in the shape of conquest or colonization, or merely of moral, intellectual, and commercial assimilation, or in other words, as civilization, but certain it is that one way or another 
and in the not very distant future american influences will dominate a large and increasing proportion of the earth's surface seeing however that the greater part of the temperate regions of the globe are already fully occupied by kindred races and kindred civilizations the latent energies of american expansion must find their vent and opportunity in the tropics as indeed has already happened and more especially in those lands whose shores are washed by the pacific for these lands this port of san francisco is the natural jumping-off place and dumping-place it takes little prescience to foretell that ere many years have passed thousands will annually leave your shores for tropic countries and thousands will return to them from tropic exile san francisco will become a yet greater commercial centre and will stand in this respect to the west of the american continent very much in the same relationship as london used to stand to the west of europe the san francisco of to-day is but a village as compared to the vast metropolis of the pacific which it is her destiny to become the expansion of america tropicwards will undoubtedly bring in its train great material prosperity to the city with this prosperity will come trials duties responsibilities not the least of these are those having reference to disease and to the preservation of health in tropical countries the establishment of those admirable and fruitful research laboratories in the philippines the splendidly successful efforts made in cuba to banish yellow fever and the elaborate sanitary arrangements devised for the panama canal route show that the washington authorities thoroughly appreciate this doubtless the selection of tropical medicine as the subject of these lectures was prompted by a similar appreciation on the part of the authorities of this college of what i might designate the situation when i sat down to write these lectures i made by way of guide a list of all the diseases so far as known that are more or less peculiar to the tropics the contemplation of the length of the list i drew up soon convinced me that anything like a comprehensive or elaborate discussion of each and all of the diseases therein enumerated would be impossible in the few hours at my disposal some sort of selection was necessary therefore to help me to make this i placed myself in imagination in the position of one of my prospective san francisco audience and speculated as to what sort of information about tropical diseases i would like in such circumstances more especially to receive what about these diseases would interest me most and what would be most useful to me in my practice and so i concluded to speak to you in the first place about those general principles which determine the occurrence of diseases special to the tropics and what are responsible for the peculiar distribution of tropical diseases this subject i placed first in order seeing that a knowledge of the principles to which i refer to as a guide not only to the intelligent study of the etiology of tropical diseases but also in their diagnosis to their prophylaxis and to their treatment moreover this knowledge is the surest guide to further discovery in the field of disease causes next while elucidating these principles i concluded to describe some of the more recent advances in tropical pathology such more especially as have been effected since our student days then i thought i would take up in a practical way the subject of those tropical diseases which you are most likely to encounter here in patients from abroad 
Next I considered it might be useful to speak in a comprehensive way about the diagnosis of these diseases, and finally to say something on the important subject of treatment. Such in a general way is the task I have set myself. I know I shall fail to do justice to my subject, but if I succeed in interesting you in some of the tropical problems I shall touch upon, in giving you some hint that may help you in diagnosis and treatment, my long journey to San Francisco will not have been made in vain. The various and manifold disease germs attacking man are not evenly and uniformly distributed over the globe. In this respect, these germs resemble ordinary animals and plants. From a variety of causes, some flourish better in one locality, some better in another locality. As in the case of ordinary animals and plants, atmospheric temperature, though not by any means the only, is a potent influence in determining distribution. Thus it is that in warm climates there are certain diseases peculiar to them, and others which, though not peculiar to warm climates, are specially prevalent there. Although to this extent there is a parallelism in geographical distribution between the pathogenic germs and ordinary animals and plants, there is at the same time a striking contrast, and the contrast lies in this, that whereas on the one hand, with the exception of man and the domestic animals, the ordinary fauna and flora of the tropics are absolutely different from those of temperate climates, on the other hand, the majority of the pathogenic fauna and flora of the tropics are the same as those of temperate climates. I say the majority of the pathogenic fauna and flora, for do we not find the tubercle bacillus everywhere, the typhoid bacillus everywhere, measles, smallpox, syphilis, whooping cough, pneumonia, tetanus, and many other disease germs everywhere. Certainly most diseases have a more or less universal distribution, or at all events, if through some accident of isolation or otherwise they may not occur in certain favored spots, yet if introduced there, other circumstances being favorable, they are capable of flourishing and spreading regardless of atmospheric temperature or other climatic conditions. I have said the majority of disease germs actually have or are capable of universal geographical and climatic range. The expression majority implies that there is a minority not so endowed. It is to this minority, or rather to a section of this minority, that the class of diseases designated tropical belongs. There are some two or three diseases peculiar to temperate climates, limited almost to temperate climates, notably scarlet fever, typhus exanthematicus, and in great measure acute rheumatism. But by far the larger number of climatically restricted diseases are tropical diseases, that is to say, diseases absolutely confined to the tropics, and which cannot be introduced into colder climates, or they are diseases which can be acquired only in the tropics, and which, although they may be introduced, do not spread in cold climates. Thus, then, the parallelism between the distribution of ordinary plants and animals and the distribution of the pathogenic plants and animals is not complete, for whereas ordinary plants and animals have their distribution in every instance directly determined by climate, in the case of the pathogenic plants and animals only a few species are so affected, the majority being found or being capable of flourishing in all climates. To put it in another way, I might say 
that as regards the tropics we have only plants and animals that are special and peculiar to those regions whereas in the matter of diseases and disease germs we have nearly all the diseases of temperate climates with a considerable number of special and essentially tropical diseases superadded the explanation of this seeming biological anomaly is the first point i would seek to impress on my audience it involves a principle perhaps the most important principle in tropical pathology a principle on the due apprehension of which our scientific grasp on tropical pathology and our power to extend the subject mainly depend ordinary plants and animals are directly affected by the temperature of the medium in which they live if this is suitable other conditions being favorable they live and multiply if unsuitable they die out one plant requires a certain atmospheric temperature climate and soil another requires a different temperature climate and soil and as there is a vast variety and range in all of these conditions there is a corresponding variety in the plants and animals of different localities but in the case of the disease germs it is quite different there is practically no variation in the climatic conditions nor in the soil in which they live for their world their climate and soil is the human body with its practically uniform temperature and its practically uniform pabulum regarded as a cultivating medium there is no difference between the juices and tissues of an eskimo and those of a caucasian or those of a negro or of those of any given individual of any of these several races whether that individual be living in the frigid the temperate or the torrid zones thus it comes about that a disease germ say a tubercle bacillus implanted into a human body at san francisco will go on flourishing even if that body transfers itself to panama and thus it is that a malarial germ acquired in panama will go on flourishing in the body of its host even if that host should come to the salubrious non-malarial shores of north california not infrequently it happens that the presence of a disease germ originally acquired in the tropics is manifested for the first time months or even years after tropical residence has ceased and the patient is as he supposes safe in his native land in london i frequently encounter cases of blackwater fever the germ of which had been acquired in tropical africa in a proportion of these cases the attack of blackwater for which i saw the patient was his first attack of that disease he may have left africa several months before and have left it apparently in good health that terrible african disease known as the sleeping sickness may remain latent for years the natives say seven years some time ago i saw a case in which the characteristic symptoms did not show themselves until the patient had been over a year in england and some eighteen months after the presumed date of infection i know of another case in which the symptoms of sleeping sickness were not declared until the third year of residence in england the lad a negro having enjoyed i was informed perfect health in the meantime of course this capacity for prolonged latency is not peculiar to tropical disease germs we have the same thing in such pandemic diseases as tubercle leprosy hydrophobia and others but we are apt to overlook it in the case of tropical diseases and to congratulate ourselves on having escaped tropical risks when we have escaped from the tropics you may leave the place where you acquired the disease germ 
but your blood tissues and temperature remaining the same, the disease germ does not necessarily die out prematurely, nor quit you simply because you have changed latitude and longitude. The culture medium is not necessarily impaired as a culture medium by the change of climate and locality. If then disease germs can thus thrive in the human body, no matter where that body may be, how comes it, you will ask, that certain diseases are confined to warm climates? Why is it that we do not encounter all diseases everywhere? Well, so far as I know, there are only two or three diseases that are, strictly speaking, confined to warm climates. That is to say, that can neither be acquired in, nor be successfully imported into or thrive in colder climates. These two or three, I might call them non-exportable diseases, so like ordinary plants and animals in respect to their climatic delicacy, depend on germs, on plants indeed, that live on the surface of the body, and are therefore exposed, like ordinary plants, to climatic influences. As their climatic requirements include high atmospheric temperature, and in the case of one of them, at least, moisture, they die off like a palm tree or other delicate tropical exotic when transferred to a cold or dry climate. The diseases I allude to are the Central American skin disease, called pinta, and that curious form of body ringworm, tinea imbricata, which was first described by medical officers of the United States Exploring Expedition to the South Pacific in 1841 under Commodore Wilkes. Some thirty years ago, while in South China, I paid some attention to this disease, proving its mycotic nature and giving it the name it is now usually known by. When tinea imbricata is fully developed, the entire surface of the body is covered with a multiple of mutually complicating systems of concentrically arranged rings of scales. This, to the ordinary individual, extremely loathsome, but to the dermatological individual, extremely handsome skin disease, is widely diffused throughout the Pacific Islands and the Malay Archipelago, extending as far west as Burma and as far north as the coast of South China. Recently, some evidence has been forthcoming that it has appeared in Brazil. Not improbably, as communications with the endemic area multiply, it will show itself in the West Indies, Central America and tropical Africa, or wherever the climatic conditions, a moist atmosphere and temperature between 80 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit, are suitable to the fungus on which the morbid process depends. In many of the Pacific Islands, a fourth, and in some of them, one half or more, of a larger proportion of the natives are affected. Europeans are not exempt. The trichophyton-like fungus, which gives rise to the characteristic desquamation, lies very superficially in the lower layers of the epidermis, which it detaches as it advances in its eccentric extension. After the first line of fungus has passed over some skin area, a new epidermis forms, and a fresh growth of the fungus starts to undermine it. This second line of fungus follows the first, the second ring is followed by a third, and so a never-ending series of parallel scaling rings is produced. This I might designate as the scheme of the disease. The eccentrically spreading rings remind one of the ripples produced on the surface of a pond by a pebble falling on the calm surface. When the fungus spreads from many points as owing to auto-infection, is generally the case after a time, 
it is as if a shower of stones had fallen on the pond many systems of spreading rings are produced which intersect each other in all directions and give rise to a pattern of extreme complexity though of some regularity the extension of the scaling area continues just so long as the state of the atmosphere is favorable when the temperature mounts above ninety degrees or falls below seventy five degrees fahrenheit or if the air becomes very dry the fungus dies or at all events ceases to be active and the disease spreads no longer on those already infected or from man to man and may even die out i have never seen the american equivalent of tinea imbricata namely pinta but by all accounts in many respects it is the counterpart of the pacific disease pinta occurs in special localities in the countries lying between mexico in the north and brazil to the south it depends apparently on several varieties or species of fungi as these fungi contain pigment and as each species when in mass shows its special color blue red or black and it is said white pinta results and as the same individual may be affected by any or all of the varieties in an extreme case the outcome is a skin modeled like that of a circus clown so common was this disease in a certain central american republic that the state could not afford to regard it as a bar to military service the subjects of pinta had to serve with the rest a concession was made however in the interests of the more cleanly and non-infected the victims of the painted skin disease were collected into special regiments known as pintados the geographical limitation of diseases such as the foregoing and perhaps of several other epiphytic tropical skin diseases not yet properly defined admits of easy explanation so likewise do the geographical limitations of certain tropical diseases produced by such ectozoa as the chigger the screw-worm and other anthropophagus larvae and annelids not so however the geographical limitations of the other and vast majority of tropical diseases in the case of the latter another and much more complex explanation must be sought for observe in the first place that although all tropical diseases other than the epiphytic and ectozootic diseases just alluded to can be exported in the sense that once their germs are implanted they can be carried to and can run their course in any climate yet it is only in warm climates that they can be acquired or can spread a manifest inference from this is that although climate does not affect the germ once successfully implanted yet there must be something in climate that affects the germ before it is acquired that is to say during its passage from the sick to the sound in this circumstance lies the key to the successful study of the etiology of tropical diseases and also to their successful prophylaxis when the student has thoroughly grasped this idea and all that it implies he has made the first and most important step in the science and practice of tropical medicine in studying the natural history of the majority of the disease germs peculiar to warm climates we find that climate exercises its influence in one of several ways these ways i propose to consider and to illustrate somewhat in detail first the germ after it has left the body of a human host has to undergo certain developmental changes for which a warm medium is required 
warm earth or warm water before it is fitted to re-enter another human host second after leaving the body and being deposited in earth or water the germ may have to undergo developmental changes in the body of some tropical animal intermediary before it can effectively re-enter another human host third the germ may not be able to escape spontaneously from its original human host but has to depend on the services of some tropical animal to abstract it therefrom and perhaps to re-implant it into its next human host fourth this abstracting and implanting agency may be required not only for these purposes but also to serve as a medium in which the immature germ may undergo developmental changes necessary for enabling it to re-enter on parasitic life in man fifth certain tropical toxemias whose toxins are produced outside the human body depend for their virus or germs acting on certain media for which high temperature is necessary in the class of diseases i propose to consider first the germ or rather young or ovum of the germ having left the human body in a form incapable of immediate re-entry has to pass through certain evolutionary changes before development has attained such a point that the organism in question is able to resume parasitic life now if for this process of development a sustained high temperature be necessary the germ and of course the disease for which it is responsible can be acquired only where this high temperature is available that is to say in tropical conditions End of chapter 1, part 1.